Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Agent Missional Podcast, and this is episode 82. And in today's episode, we're going to be specifically looking at how writing can be a vehicle to gather and make space for us to discern what God desires, open doors for others, and be the new landscape for us to engage in our faith in ways that we couldn't have before. Let's do this. Hey everybody, thank you once again for joining us on this podcast as we continue our series on women in leadership. And we have a super honor today and a special guest. Sarah Bessie is with us and Sarah is the author of the popular and critically acclaimed books, Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith, Jesus Feminists and Miracles and Other Reasonable Things. She was also the editor of the New York Times bestseller book, A Rhythm of Prayer. Sarah is also the co-curator and co-host of the annual Evolving Faith Conference, and she serves as the president of the board for Heartline Ministries in Haiti. She lives in Calgary, Alberta with her husband and their four children. That is awesome. And you know what? As I was also doing a little bit of research, I found out you were a big Doctor Who fan. So I need to ask you about this, you know, because it's probably going to be the most important question today. Who was your first doctor and who was your favorite doctor? <laughs> Let's go right to like the most important stuff here. This yes. Is, I'm so excited. You know what? I started with New Who. So my first doctor would have been the ninth doctor. And so I started watching, you know, kind of got, you know, a little bit started. And then all of a sudden, I think it was by episode like eight or nine, right around that empty child season. I was just like all the way in the rabbit hole. And so I'm like raising my children in the, in the admonition (laughs) and in the doctrine. (laughs) Oh my goodness. They are drawing little TARDISes by the time they're six, you know? So it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's hard for me to name a favorite doctor. It's Mm -hmm. almost like, you know, just one of those questions that is difficult to answer. I have a soft spot for all of them. There's reasons why I find all of them compelling, but I've really been re-enjoying the 13th doctor this season. Yes. And the fugitive doctor has really been a lot of fun. (laughs) You know, we just introduced you in a lot of big ways and a lot of official ways. I'm sure you don't say that when you just meet someone. So how would you introduce yourself? Why don't you share a little bit about who you are and where you are at? Oh, well, that's nice to ask. It's a funny thing to, I guess, start off with. I think even the first time that usually you meet someone, it's just like, hi, I'm Sarah. You know, I live in Calgary. (laughs) So yeah, I've been married for about 20 years, almost 21 actually now. And we have four kids. They are from grade one all the way up to grade 10. And so we've got, you know, three girls, one boy having a lot of fun and, you know, excitement kind of in this stage of our life as they are, you know, growing up. And, you know, I write, I'm a writer. That's probably where I most find my vocation and my intersection with God and an altar with God. The other things that have kind of come have almost been unexpected. You know, now, of course, leading Evolving Faith, that's a huge part of my life, not just the conference and the podcast, but also, you know, the community side of things. But yeah, I think that those, though, that pretty much sums it up, I guess, for the most part. Love knitting, love hockey, <laughs> like yes. going for walks, all those things. 
Excellent. No, thank you so much for joining us on this conversation. As always, our co-hosts are here as well, Xenia, Shu, and Bernard. How are you guys doing? Hey, how's Hello. it going? I, I was yes. going to ask, this might be a controversial question, but like, which hockey team? Oh, now <laughs> we're getting into it. Oh. oh, Bernard, this is not fair. Okay, so obviously I, I'm a Calgary Flames fan. I love oh, the Flames. Oh, so am I. Yeah, love the yes. Flames. That's Flames. my West team. Love them. I was born and raised a Boston Bruins fan. I have Ooh. loved the Boston Bruins <laughs> since no. I was a wee tiny child. You and should so own that. I know. It's just, this is who I am. I'm just going to bring my full self to this conversation with you and not hide. But yeah, the Bruins have always been my my number one team. And uh, and I still love them and cheer for them. The only time, I'll cheer for both teams. But honestly, if they came head to head, I find I would usually be cheering for the Bruins. So It's like a Bruins jersey underneath the Flames jersey. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just ready to rip it off and be like, okay, I have to choose one. It's time I to know. go. It was so funny because last year when the Canadians were making such a run for the cup, I was like, what is going on? I've got warm feelings in my heart for the Montreal team. <laughs> I have never felt that before in my life. But all of a sudden I was like, well, oh, they're such a great little team. And I feel a little bit happy for them. This is weird. <laughs> Canadiana. That's what that is. I think so. I think at the end of the day, we're just so happy that like a Canadian team actually made it into the playoffs. We're like, I'll even cheer for the ones I've loathed my whole life long because I'm just so happy. This could be how the Lord is reconciling all things. We believe it. We believe (laughs) it. Starts with hockey teams. It's great. So Sarah, we want to ask, how did you get into writing? What has that journey been like for you to start writing and getting into it? Well, I was, you know, writing pretty much my whole life. It was all I really, you know, did and what I loved to do. It was never really my job, right? Like I was in marketing for financial services for, you know, 12 years, did nonprofit work for a lot of years. My husband was a pastor for a number of years. And so I want to say it would have been, I don't know, maybe 2004, 2003, I started a blog like everybody. (laughs) So, you know, I started a blog and just started writing and, you know, nobody read it for probably the first seven years, right? It was just me kind of, you know, exploring my own faith, my own, you know, questions and doubts and wonderings about God and about scripture. But also, you know, I was a young mom at the time, right? So I was even doing a lot of that, you know, kind of classic mommy blogging stuff as well. Nice. And those kinds of intersections of finding God in those places and, and exploring theology and learning and So, I mean, I was surprised, I guess, when, you know, it started kind of connecting with more people than my sister, right? When actually people were reading it, but it was funny to realize that, you know, by, you know, 2010 or so, it was like, look at all of us out here, right? And and in a way, blogging was a huge gift for people like me because it gave us a way past the gatekeepers. A lot of the people that we have being listening to or the people who were being published, the people who were being platformed were often, you know, dominantly one type of person with one particular kind of theology or one particular way of looking at the world. And blogging kind of opened up the gates for women and for even Canadians, right? Where maybe oftentimes the, the discourse is so dominated by American evangelicalism. You know, people like me who didn't go to seminary and probably never will, right? It just this way of being able to find each other and connect with one another uh, to share our stories. And that, you know, just grew into a writing career and grew into evolving faith and grew into, you know, now the work that I do 
which surprisingly looks a lot like ministry, which is never something I would have expected (laughs) for myself, nor would anyone else have expected it of me. My parents are regularly surprised by the work that I do and the things that have happened. Nice. But it's it's been good, even if it's been a circuitous route, you know, and and a bit of an unexpected organic one, I guess. A quick question I want to ask is since you've been doing this for 17 years, 2004, you know, that's a long time. What would you tell 2004 Sarah Bessie as she's starting to write her blog? That's a good question. You know, it's an interesting thing for me because a lot of what I was going through at that time, you know, nowadays the conversation has progressed so much and we know so much more and there's so much more room for things. But at the time I was very staunchly in my first season of deconstruction. It was my first, you know, which is again, a word, you know, didn't really exist at that time, but that sense of like peeking behind the curtain or needing to dismantle or reimagine my faith of crossing a threshold into some sort of a wilderness. And so it it felt fraught to me a lot of times, you know, it felt scary. And so I think looking back on that, I don't know, you feel a lot of compassion right? For, for the person that you were. And a lot of you know grace for that. There's a lot of things that maybe I wish I would have said or done differently. I think that most of us kind of, you know, I know maybe that's one of the gifts of getting older as <laughs> you begin to develop not just more <laughs> compassion for yourself, but for everyone. But yeah, I think that when I look back on it, I would just say, you know, you don't need to be afraid that the love of God will hold you in that place, mm. that your questions and your your doubts and the things that you're learning and unlearning about God and about church and about scripture and about being in community, those things are going to serve you well. And more than anything else, this will be an altar where you meet with God, right? You mm. will be transformed by this. And you can, I don't know if it's putting too fine a point on it, but your roots are going down deep when you're in that season, you know, into the love of God and understanding it beyond maybe the small box that you either constructed or were given for God. Mm. It's a it's a scary thing when the you start to kind of realize and peek over the edge of that box and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of God that I have not, you know, contemplated or explored or understood. And, you know, that can be scary, but I don't know if you, you know, I think that I would want to almost reassure that, that this is good and healthy and normal thing to go through and to, to walk through. So I guess that's probably what I would say, but maybe if I thought about it more, I'd have something more profound. No, that was a good word and a much needed word. And you're really expressing a needed grace when we look back at ourselves, you know, a number of years ago and and how to think back on the journey that you were on. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. So we've been on this series on women in leadership, and we wanted to ask some of your journey and some of your reflections on what does it mean to be a woman of faith, a woman in leadership, and what have you seen over the years? I was also just going to add to John's question. And also, like, as you described how your your writing journey began in 2003, a lot has happened since 2003. Like, what are some of also your observations through the years? Mm. You know, I guess maybe looking back on it, that was kind of one of the first threads I began to pick at was women in ministry, women in leadership. What does that begin to look like? And so, you know, in a lot of ways, it has felt like you kind of have a different way of of coming into that conversation. It was, you know, I grew up in low church, 
small churches in Western Canada, you know, picture the kind that meet in like leisure centers and there are usually two or three tambourines involved and, you know, folding chairs. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, you know, we are, we are in the place and, you know, it's an interesting mix because I grew up being very comfortable with women leading. Oftentimes that was simply out of necessity because we were small churches in communities where it wasn't my parents that had stopped going to church. It was our grandparents. Right. Like we were, we were a couple of generations deep into this. And so being first generation Christians, you know, there was a necessity almost of, you know, it's all hands on deck. Right. And so it was an interesting thing for me as, you know, getting older and moving into the larger church and beginning to kind of unpack even some of the air that we breathe. Right. Not just within the church, but even within our society and questioning some of those things. And so it's an interesting thing now looking back on it because I remember when, you know, early 2010s, 2012 was when I wrote Jesus Feminist. It was like a throwing a bomb in the middle of the conversation. It felt so much more fraught, I guess, at that time. And now it's been almost 10 years. And so now we have, you know, the conversation has grown and included so many other people and the conversations around people being able to kind of explore some of those things that it's not really as exciting as it sounds anymore, right? <laughs> you know, not quite as revolutionary maybe as it, as it was back then. And so, you know, it was funny because even the title grew out of some of those conversations as people would say, you know, I would, it would just kind of come up in conversation, especially when my husband was in ministry, just that I'm a feminist. That's, you know, how I kind of have always been. And it's not really a label that I had a lot of, you know, baggage with or otherwise. And it was interesting to see how like church people would kind of react to that word, right? Then you'll clutch their pearls, be like, what kind of feminist? <laughs> you know, they've got this image in their head and it's not, you know, it's maybe tricked out from media or from, you know, whatever else. And it would be, I would just kind of joke and say, oh, I'm a Jesus feminist, you know, because for me, it meant that my feminism was deeply formed and shaped by Jesus, that I was a feminist because mm-hmm. of I was following Jesus, not in spite of following Jesus. And that I saw something incredibly compelling about the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus that led me towards that posture. What was kind of interesting, like even on the other side of that is, you know, how often people that I would encounter in my workplace and in you know, my actual working life who would find it that I was a Christian and I almost have the same reaction. They would be like, oh, what kind of Christian? Because like, you know? yes. <laughs> there's some out there that could, you know, make it a little bit harder to move through certain circles. But, you know, writing that and, and shepherding that work over the last, you know, 10 years in community and in conversation, I have grown to have so much more hope. And I have grown to see how the study of scripture, but also not just saying the right things, but embodying the right things has become so important to so many different communities. How many people are able to name and identify what they long for. And even for me, I mean, writing Jesus Feminist for me, and then shepherding that work for the last number of years was never meant to be like an academic, like, here's answering all your questions. Here's all the things that you would need to know. And you all are you know, very wise and learned people. And if you've read it, you're like, we know. (laughs) But there's more this sense of here's what it looks like in the kingdom of God when you've answered that question, when you are living into that reality in your marriages, in your partnerships, raising your children, preaching, showing up at your job, in your churches, in your neighborhoods, in the world. What does it look like to live into God's great, big, beautiful welcome and yes in this? And I feel like I've had chances to see both the best and the worst of that 
lately, but I do have a tremendous amount of hope. And it's been a, it's been a beautiful thing to see. When that book first came out, I, I read it with a lot of enthusiasm because it was one of the things where it's not that I grew up in a space where women weren't ordained, like by the early 2000s, my church was ordaining women, but it put into context for me what other people were going through and what I was feeling, mm-hmm. even though it didn't, like it wasn't your experience, wasn't my experience. But the other mm-hmm. thing that was really coming up at the same time as your book was this wave of fundamentalism and the new Calvinist movement. And so I just thought, what a beacon of hope. And I don't know how many copies I've given away now, but I don't even have one on my shelf anymore because I just, I don't know where my latest copy went. Mm. But I just want to say, I'm so grateful that you wrote this book because it's been so impactful for me and for other women in my life. But I wanted to ask, you know, now that you're kind of a couple of years out from this book, would, would you add an extra chapter and what, what would you add if you wanted to add anything? Mm. Well, thank you for saying that first. That means a lot to me to hear. Thank you. That's something I've thought about a lot, actually, in the years since, because that's one of the most frustrating things I think about writing a book is it stays the same and you keep learning. right? And, you know, I've, I've thought about that a lot and what I would like to do. I think that you know, there's some anecdotes and some stories and some things that maybe I would shift and change or rewrite a little bit differently. I think probably the most important thing, though, that I, I, I think looking back on it, it lacked intersectional feminism. It lacked an awareness of my privilege as a straight, white, married lady in a lot of these conversations. And even why people responded to the book with such enthusiasm and even a lot of the critics I was protected often by that privilege. Going back to my joke about being a Jesus feminist, you know, not really a joke, but you know what I mean. People were okay with hearing that I was a feminist because I was who I was, right? Been married for 20 years. I have four kids. I am, you know, straight. I like to knit. You know, there's a lot of things that are ticking boxes for people where they're like, oh, well, you're not so scary. This isn't something that, you know, I need to be super worried about. And so at the same time, I worry that lack of intersectionality, that lack of awareness around race, around gender, maybe still continue to exclude other voices that needed to be heard. And so those are some things and some conversations that I've learned since then, hopefully have integrated into my work better in the ensuing years, but that's something that with Jesus Feminist that is, I feel, a gap for sure. So maybe in the same vein as Xenia's question, just kind of thinking about this, I know Scott McKnight wrote a book called The King Jesus Gospel a little while back. And then now there's this new book that's coming out called Living the King Jesus Gospel, which is a collection of different people's voices speaking into what Scott has written years ago. So I'm curious, you know, for Jesus Feminist, if you were to invite you know, a chorus of writers and authors, who would you invite to kind of dialogue with it like today in 2021? That is a good question. I would love to give a lot of thought to actually. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm thinking of so many conversation partners and friendships that have, you know, deeply shaped, you know, my posture and my position, my learning, the people whose feet I sit at, right? Really. So I think of, you know, Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes, is one who's a womanist scholar and theologian. You know, I think that there's a lot of other voices that I would love to see represented in there. 
I love that idea of having people speak into and interact with the text, you know, from that posture and from that place. I think it would be a really beautiful exercise. I, I want to think about this a little bit more. Thank you, Bernard. That was a good question. <laughs> Actually, who who were maybe some, you know, as you, you mentioned, uh, Dr. Shaniqua Barnes, but who were the kind of influences for you to develop some of your thinking or even like has changed some of your thinking, as you're saying today, towards where you're moving towards? Like, uh, is there kind of like authors or theologians that you've been uh, following closely that have helped you develop in that way? You know, if I'm looking back through a number of the ones that I would want to actually interact with it, Gail Song Bantam over at Quest Church in Seattle is one. She occupies such a unique place in ministry and in leadership and has led in ways that I never did, right, in terms of pastoral work and pastoral care. And that's a voice I think could would be really well served in a lot of those conversations. Sandra Maria von Opstel would be another one. She's a pastor and activist out in Chicago. My path crossed with her as a number of years ago, we had her at our first Evolving Faith Gathering in 2018. She preached the roof off the place. And even her posture and her way of being in the world, like she has become someone who, you know, there's people who will call you out in public. And then there's people who will call you in in private. And she is someone who will call you in in private. And that's a real rarity in a lot of the work that we all do, right? It's it's not as performative. It's driven a lot by friendship and relationship and a longing. One book that really impacted me in a relationship that's impacted me since then is Lisa Sharon Harper. She's another one. Her book, The The Very Good Gospel, was deeply formative, especially when I was writing it of sorts. And then since then, she's done some work with us at Evolving Faith. She's spoken there and, you know, we've had some other conversations, but her leadership, her call is, is a, would be a really beautiful one to speak into that. I think from that posture of Shalom, that posture of what the gospel really is to be able to speak into a lot of those different places. I mean, you know, me, he can court is another person that, I mean, gosh, I think her and I were blogging alongside of each other since like 2011, right? And she has written, I mean, she's so smart. (laughs) The books that she writes and and the things that she studies, I can't even begin to touch on, but she is just so funny and wise and brings such a depth of knowledge that someone like myself really, I don't know. She's someone I could listen to talk about pretty much anything, but especially when she gets going on a lot of these topics, her perspective and her wisdom has been really life-changing in a lot of different ways for me. So, I mean, there's other ones and other voices that I think would be really beneficial speaking into Jesus Feminist. I think especially for women who are queer, you know, women who have, you know, again, a lot of times, you know, a different relationship with having children or or haven't had children or don't care to when we have so much baggage around motherhood and what we kind of think around mothers and, and mothering. And so I think even that would be a really beautiful thing to uh, to bring into that conversation, you know, conversations around disability. Right. As well, able bodied women, you know, disabled women being able to speak into that. So, yeah, I mean, it would be a really beautiful, beautiful thing, I think, to have there. You know, Candace Benbow is another one. She's got a new book coming out called Red Lip Theology. And she just is a phenomenal thinker and speaker and writer. I mean, honestly, all of these people you probably would love to have on your show. (laughs) So I can even turn around and send you a whole list later, I'm sure. I just find it really cool to hear your your journey and just you know as you're sh- uh, sharing about these different authors and influencers on you you can hear like you were talking about intersectionality and talking about who, like who would have thought just a decade ago 
going through, you know, Jesus feminist or going through trying to understand better women in God's kingdom, women in the church, what that could look like. But now there's all these even more bigger nuances, like more multiple nuances that we've had to consider. And in the Canadian Asian church, I find that's very similar too. that sometimes we're hitting just some major issues, but there's even more nuance to each, each one. And I think to be better aware of what God is doing and how we're engaging people, it's important to go through those intersections and nuances. So I really do appreciate, you know, some of those, some of the authors and and the thoughts you're sharing about where they're coming from. No, thank you for that. I think that that's one of the things that, that the wider community of learning and, and people really is such a, a gift to all of us. And in, in no matter, you know, where, what our social location is, I love Jesus better when I hear why other people love Jesus. I love the church again, <laughs> which can be hard sometimes when I hear why other people and where other people find their, their place in the church. And especially for me over these last, you know, I would say maybe the 10 years since writing Jesus Feminist in particular, the gift of being able to be alongside of people, of hearing other people's stories, it just brings so much richness to us, right? And I think that that's one of the things you touched on there, Shu, of just saying, like, this isn't something to be afraid of, but something to welcome, right? That mm, yes. every little bit of you know movement that we make towards one another is a movement towards the image of God. And so that's a beautiful thing to see. I mean, honestly, it's life-changing, right? No, thank you so much for sharing that. Kind of just to follow up on Shu, as we're kind of getting closer to the end of our episode today, and we just have a couple questions left, is we wanted to say thank you, because you were one of the people who opened up the door and enabled us to start having these type of conversations and to start putting it out there so that we could share stories and we could listen to other voices leading to where we are today, where we're talking about all the different aspects of what it could look like. How does it relate to dynamics of power? How does it relate to dynamics of leadership? What does it mean for the family? And in, in a way, we are on your shoulders of, of you have opened the door and more of these type of conversations have happened. So we are very grateful for your writing and for how you're continuing to open those doors because they're so needed for us. And maybe we don't know always how to have those type of conversations, but we're thankful for the ones that God leads to be able to express and to be able to frame it and to be able to create space Mm -hmm. for those types of dialogues. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Thank you for that, John. My goodness. That is incredibly kind to hear. I am very aware always that I'm like one link in a chain. (laughs) You know, that there were so many women and people who shaped and changed and did that work for me that I was alongside of, you know, in doing a lot of that work at the time and now, right. And, and I just have such, like I said, I have such hopefulness when I look at the generations that are coming up you know, behind us. And I think that sense of permission, right? Almost like giving each other permission to to push back on those things. I mean, I'm from a charismatic tradition. And so I'm always like, you know what patriarchy is? Powers and principalities. That's what that is. Boom. <laughs> so, Boom. That's, you know, so this idea of like dismantling some of those things and being in community doing that with previous generations. I mean, Xenia, you were saying earlier that it came at a moment when there is this massive resurgence of soft patriarchy, you know, cloaked in biblical language and, you know, using sacred words to justify, you know, oppression or inequality. I don't think that that was an accident. 
Right. And so I think that a lot of times that sort of community, being able to do that work together and alongside of each other, it's not just a small theological issue because it has implications in every corner of our life. Yes. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's good work to be involved in together, to just be living into the kingdom of God together. Yes. Yes. You know, before Xenia comes to ask our final question, we want to ask you a little bit about your friendship and your experience with Rachel Held Evans. You know, you've blogged about it and you've talked about your friendship and one of her books was recently published at the start of November, A Wholehearted Faith. And, you know, this came a couple years after her untimely passing. And it was a work that you were involved with, and it was a friendship that was very close to you. And I was just wondering, you know, could you share a little bit about your reflections of how your friendship, your involvement with the book has shaped you personally and has shaped you as a writer? You know, my friendship with Rachel was deeply formative, right? And so when we talk about the people who shifted the conversation and shifted things in the church, who were not just a prophetic voice, but a pastoral voice. You know, Rachel, Rachel was it. And she was from the get-go. My friendship with her was deeply formative. We were we wrote alongside each other for all of those years, you know, conspired together and, you know, got up to nonsense on Twitter together and you know, did all, all sorts of things. But yeah, I don't know that you can overstate her influence on this particular topic in the church, not just in her written work, but in her posture, her way of being in the world. Rachel was the one who really invited me to recognize the redrawing of God's geography so that the margins were actually the center, that the what we consider the margins of the church is actually the center mm. of God's kingdom. Her friendships, her relentless pursuit of people <laughs> was beautiful. She built, you know, community really everywhere she went. And so, you know, that's where evolving faith grew out of that friendship. It's been, you know, two and a half years since we lost her. And I don't know that a day has gone by that I have not missed her really deeply. But this last book of hers was co-written with Jeff Chu. Very soon after we lost Rachel, her husband, Dan, turned to Jeff, who's a mutual friend with theirs. And he actually helps lead Evolving Faith with me now and just said, you know, could you, could you finish it? And I think it was one of the most beautiful acts of friendship I've ever seen. You know, Jeff took 12,000 words in an outline of an unfinished manuscript and just with all of her unpublished work and with blog posts and with sermons and with all the other things that she had. I mean, again, Rachel was a very, (laughs) from a writing perspective, I mean, her first drafts look like my final drafts. Like she was amazing (laughs) what she did and had her craft. And so seeing Jeff serve her and serve her words and bring that over the finish line, it was such a sacrificial act of friendship. And he just, it sounds like her every single page. It's the last book for adults from her that we'll ever have. So it's bittersweet, right? I mean, the the concept and the words and the work she was doing in that book was deeply important. And now it's it's available for everyone to kind of interact with and really get a sense of where her heart was at there in those days. No, we really appreciate you sharing that. I, I think, you know, her work in particular was also including with yours, part of opening those doors and approaching it from such a pastoral place that really invited people in. And it didn't come across as this antagonistic kind of way, but it was like, let's draw together to see where God is leading us in this. And uh, thank you for that. I know you had involvement in 
in the audiobook of reading some of the chapters of the book as well. And so thank you so much for, for your contributions as part of that work. It was a joy to read her. Uh, I did the first six chapters and then a number of other authors and leaders all came in, Kathy Kong and Nadia Boltz-Weber and even Dan, right? Her sister, Amanda. So there's a number of voices within the audiobook. And I just had to laugh because I was like, she loved Hebrew so much, guys. (laughs) And so having to like speak with my mouth. Hebrew words out loud for the audiobook. I was like, I know that there are some Hebrew scholars who are just going to be scandalized. I tried my best. She loved her Bible so, so much. And I was like, I love this about you, but also right now I do not love this. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my goodness. No, it's all good. Uh, (laughs) I will not criticize your Hebrew reading. (laughs) So, you know, what John was saying, actually, about how your work gathering people around uh, fostering safe place for trying to build up the church. As you think about the people you write for, or even the people who, who will meet you in this podcast or through this podcast, do you have any words of encouragement for young women who are coming up into thinking about their place in the mission of God and also for the church today? Hmm. You know... There are so many things that I would want to say in in that place. I think that's well, obviously I've just keep writing books and be never being done with words, apparently. <laughs> At the end of Jesus Feminist, I wrote a benediction. And I do that with all of my books now. I finish off with a benediction and, you know, just kind of this this moment of prayer. That was actually kind of where the idea even of a rhythm of prayer, my last book kind of grew out of was from the benedictions and from prayer and from conversations around prayer again. In that benediction, I remember saying, stop waiting for permission. And so when I think about the, in particular, the women that are coming up in the church right now, when I think about any number of people who have been silenced or othered or marginalized, you know, I think that there is that sense of knowing you are loved by God, of the overwhelming, inclusive, welcoming, loving kindness of God, to me is just such a beautiful invitation to live out from, right? And so, you know, I think there's a lot of things that I would maybe want to say, probably most of it would be useless to people. Because at the end of the day, I have such confidence that God loves them and wants to walk with them. And I trust that in them. You know, there's no part of me that's afraid for any of them. And so being able to walk that out and the ways and the places where God is called and equipped and placed you with the people that are around you. It's a beautiful thing to see. It'll just look really different than mine, right? <laughs> like that's, that's just at the end of the day, what it will be. And I think that's maybe part of the problem is we want to replicate and borrow other people's transformation. But at the end of the day, God has invitations for you that I can't even begin to dream of. Thank you so much for that. That was such a humble word to end off on. And for us to continue to internalize. Because sometimes I think when we are engaged in these type of conversations, we need that constant foundation and reminder for us to have these type of conversations. Otherwise, we start to go off the rails (laughs) way down the road. (laughs) So thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that's a perfect way for us to end off our episode today. So thank you, Sarah. I would very much encourage our listeners to read and buy Sarah's books 
follow her on Twitter, connect with her on social media and wherever she can be connected with online. Definitely continue these type of conversations. So Sarah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed our conversation and God's blessings on you and all of your work. And thank you to all of you for listening and joining this conversation. Let us know how you're wrestling with what Sarah shared today and how her journey and her posture encouraged and challenged you to engage in your context. You can reach us always by Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by email. Our email is contact.campodcast at gmail.com. That's contact.campodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you because you guys are part of this dialogue as well. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to, and also share it with others. That helps us to get this conversation out there and helps us to make space for more people to be part of it. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.